0: We sold all of our company stores under a franchise agreement in 2009, we went to the marketplace and four years later, we had 130 locations and nine years later when I sold the business to Home Franchise Concepts out of Irvine, California, the parent company of Budget Blinds, we had 240
1: locations in 37 states. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? reach out to us at contentallies.com.
2: hey leaders welcome back this is ledge really excited to welcome Jeff Dudan to the show Jeff as I as I warned you ahead of time I'm uh, I'm the lazy bio guy so you know I, I'm gonna have you introduce yourself to the audience you have uh, an extensive portfolio of businesses and in the franchise space and you know, books and authorship, uh, you know, I just, uh, Lean into whatever you think is is valuable here because uh, I'm going to have all kinds of questions.
0: Hey, Ledge, I appreciate it. Excited to be on with you today and and talk to your leaders out there. And so I am a franchise or so I have done everything in my career from running the painting business to a national restoration business to a national restoration franchise and and then uh, building a platform of health and wellness Brands in the fitness space and the personal care space. And then, uh, currently, and what's taken up most of my time now is building a platform of property service brands called Homefront Brands. So, most of what I have done is around franchising. So, we're very passionate about helping people really take transformative, impactful actions in their life. And, you know, franchising is the greatest wealth creation business model ever invented. And there are, uh, you can look all over the place, whether it's Mr. Richardson, who owned the Carolina Panthers, who started, it was Johnny Unitas's tight end. And he wanted, I think in his book, it says he wanted 500 a game. They offered him 250. He quit and he went and bought a Hardee's. And then he ended up with 400 Hardy. So, you know, franchising is more and more prevalent today. Even at the franchisee level, you're seeing more sophisticated owners and operators and acquirers put together groups of franchise systems. So we've built some offerings in the franchise space that are just for these people, the kind of things that sophisticated business owners are looking for services and support and infrastructure that they need to, you know, really change their life and the lives of so many people through small business and entrepreneurship.
2: Yeah, I, I love this because I think this is an area of popular sort of startup press that doesn't get enough attention. The, the folio building and sophistication of these business opportunities now, it's not a thing that you see come up, you know, often in the same category for the wealth building that you do for, you know, oh, I got to have a tech startup or any of these things. And I think that's what makes it, you know, really interesting to me that it's so much about business leadership and entrepreneurship. And I think people maybe who have the means and and the skills in, in business ownership maybe don't know about these opportunities. And I think that's a really interesting thing to get into.
0: Yeah, 100%. You know, one of the most important things for any leader is to know yourself. And what I learned about myself a long time ago is that I'm a coach and I get fired up helping other people be successful. We've done well. And we like to do well, you know, but what really gets us excited is taking everything that we've learned over a 25 or 30 year career, packaging it up and finding a way to translate that information to other people so that they can be successful in it. And then if uh, in franchising, if your franchisees are successful, then that confers back lots of success on the brand. So it's really an aligned business model. There's a lot of leadership. There's a lot of influence. There's a lot of inspiration that goes into it. That's what I've made my career doing. I actually started uh, a Chicago guy, came out to Appalachian State University, which wasn't really that well known back then. But we've made some noise here with our football program of late. And uh, I came out on a football scholarship in 1989, and from there I met my wife. We are still married. We have three wonderful children: 24, 21, and 18. The wife and I are—we are, have a lot in common. We're both constantly working on me, but I really wanted to stay out there. Uh, it was my third college; the first two were, you know, didn't work out so well. So I knew this was my last chance, and had the football scholarship. But I needed to make money to, to survive over the summer, so I started a painting business, like so many people do, and. I'd worked all the trades in Chicago, moving, construction, concrete, painting. And so I said, hey, roommate, you got a truck, let's go get a ladder and a paintbrush and let's let's see what we can do. So we ended up meeting the property managers that managed the student housing and we acquired those contracts. So we set up a business the very next summer where the athletes that were there taking classes over the summer were our painting crew and, and we would do high volume of apartments during the lease turnover day and night. And um, so that was very successful. So when I graduated. I really didn't look for a job, bought a house up there. And so Buddy called me and says, hey, this this big hurricane hit South Florida, Hurricane Andrew in 1992. And my partner and I went down there, cut our teeth in the insurance restoration business over the next 18 months, and then started the business that I would own and operate for the next 24 years and 11 months called Advanteclean. And we started in Central Florida with some partners. I opened up a second location in 95 back in the Carolinas because that's where we decided that we wanted to live. And we grew that to a, a national disaster response company, a government contractor doing mold remediation, air duct cleaning, emergency services, uh, all of these things in hospitals, universities, institutions. We all have inflection points in our life where we make decisions. I think one was you know, when I decided you know, to try football as a junior in high school. Another one was deciding to go to the top of a mountain for college when I had a lot of other options that were more urban. I said, you know what? I can I can go to this little mountaintop in Boone, North Carolina. It's a dry county. I can probably focus and graduate there. And then uh, I bought my last business partner out in 2004, and we hired our first consultants. And they uh, it was a group called the Performance Group. What the culmination of a six-month engagement was a seven-page purpose, vision, mission, value statement. And about half of it was how we were going to expand our national direct business. And the other half of it was how we were gonna build a national franchise. So uh, we prepared that year, we bought semi-trucks, campers, thousands of pieces of equipment. And sure enough, in 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit uh, the Gulf Coast and we responded down there and and with a four year response doing, you know, hundred million dollars over the next four years. And I'll never forget, this is an inflection point, I was driving back through Atlanta in the middle of the night and I was in a rented RV because I'd been down there for three months and I was missing my sons who was seven at the time, his first football season. And I said, you know, I grew up uh, with limited supervision and not a great student. And I had to knock around a lot to get to where I was to kind of dig myself out. I said, I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for my kids. So I decided in that moment that I was going to sell all of our company stores under a franchise model keep our commercial people, our project managers, and maybe some of the infrastructure. And then I was going to take all of that and pour that into a franchise business model. So that's what we did. So in 2006, seven and eight, we sold all of our company stores under a franchise agreement in 2009. We went to the marketplace and four years later, we had 130 locations. And nine years later, when I sold the business to Home Franchise Concepts out of Irvine, California, the parent company of Budget Blinds. We had 240 locations in 37 states. So that was the 24 years and 11 months. Didn't quite make it for the, you know, didn't get the watch on the 25th anniversary, but it was good and they didn't need me. So I was uh, free and unencumbered. My brother, who was actually washing cars at Schomburg Toyota, going to the same junior college that I was going to, came out to App State, took over the painting business, put himself through college Went into public accounting, and then uh, when Arthur Anderson ceased to be, the, he uh, took a job with the Carolina Panthers, where he was for 16 years, finishing up as their chief financial officer. And he helped lead the sale of the team for Mr. Richardson to the Tepper Group about the same time I sold at Vaniclean. So maybe it was serendipity or timing, but we got back together and we created the Duden Group, and and we commenced to operating and investing in the franchise space. So first thing we did was acquired a company called Rockbox Fitness with some great partners. And we've added a a sauna concept with it called Beam Infrared Sauna. So they operate in a platform called Thrive More Brands, which is kind of a health and wellness platform. And then about a year and a half ago, after doing consulting and a lot of investing and being in some of these other uh, categories and market segments, I realized like we knew everything I was doing was comparing what we were doing to what we did in property service. And I'm like, but we're not, we need to be in property services. So my son joined us, he's a finance and econ guy. We put together this concept of home-front brands. And over the next eight months, we acquired six companies into home-front brands, great businesses with great founder stories and multi-million dollar average unit volumes. And just the underlying assets are so strong in home-front brands. And here's the question, here's the problem we we'd solved, was we know how every major platform and hundreds of brands have gone to market and we know what the very, very best in territory, technology, staffing, you know, support. We know these things. If we could build the most responsible franchise platform that we could, what would that look like? And that's what we set out to do. So we spent all year doing it. And now we've gone to market for about ninety days and Got people in droves that are joining our uh, our franchises right now. So uh, so that's what I'm up to. And you know, and then from a purpose perspective, well, my daughter she has no empathy. You know, she got into a law school. Uh, she decided to go to law school. I knew she was a lawyer since she was five years old. She's been threatening to sue me since she was six. Very well read. You know, good comprehension and and no empathy. And I've told her that she's been an attorney. So after trying to fight it, she's going to law school. And and she got into uh, one of the top six law schools. And And uh, I said, you know, you can go to a different law school for free. I said, we have to pay for this one. And she said, yeah, dad, but didn't you always tell me that you need to compete at the highest level that you possibly qualify for? And I said, you're, I think that was your mother. But I mean, so you ask why, you know, why are we doing homefront brands? And it's because, well, because that's the next evolution. And I think that people, when they look at their lives, I believe that you can have many, many different seasons of life. You can have many lives within a life. And, you know, I went from a painter to a restoration guy to a coach. I, and one of the things I did when I came off the road and decided to franchise was I was able to coach 30 seasons of my kids' sports. I just love the practice of leadership to take a group of 12-year-old young men or young women and have four months to build a team where they play fast and they play loose and they care about one another. And and a lot of times at that age, that's just enough edge to get you into the championship, man. It, it doesn't matter necessarily what you get. now You got to have a little speed here and there. But you know, generally, you can take any group of people and you can organize them and motivate them in such a way that's going to have the best possible outcome, and that—that's exactly what franchising is, and that's why I love it so much.
2: That's really interesting. I love, you know, when I can talk to people that have done many years of a thing, and there are lessons that come out, and you've actually taken the time. To distill and think about that in, in your authorship, which I think is good and something that I aspire to. You know, I, I often think, oh, I should really write that down. Take that, take that time and effort to to do it. But I think you have several books and you know, just what, what are those core distillations? I hear family, I hear leadership, I hear teamwork. And how do you think of all that, you know, for the audience to learn from?
0: Yeah. So I tend to get motivated to write a book when I realize that. You know, I played fullback in college and, uh, you know, I, I sometimes question my memory. So as I get to the end of what I what I see moving on from something, I tend to want to document it just so maybe it's for me to remember what we did or maybe it's for other people to, to have a path, probably the latter. You know, the first book I wrote was called Hey Coach, and it was really a kind of a distillation of our coaching method and how we built a intentionally built a culture with a with a group of kids and how we use three different tools you know we had you know player rules parental expectations and coaching commitments and each little tomes of five to seven principles and you know then what's our philosophy about you know what we put in and and how we put in and how do you you know there's only one ball on most fields so how do you get everybody okay with what their role is and what they're responsible to do and you know, and then you know what? Eat popsicles on Thursday. Uh, so really, uh, that book was written by Hey Coach, and it was named actually by Coach Joe Gibbs. We're we're here in race country, in uh, just south of Mooresville, North Carolina. Coach's uh, race team, Gibbs Racing, is in Huntersville, and we went to a school uh, with with his grandchildren. So we're all of my kids are kind of matched up with their kids in terms of friends and whatnot. And then Coach Gibbs would actually coach in this little football. Um, league that we were in, I won't go into the story, but we did we did get them one time. So, you know, we kind of snuck in at the end of the game, and he was doing an interview with NASCAR or uh, ESPN or somebody like that, and they came out. We're filming him with his little team. He was coaching and all that, and he said, he said but you guys are seven and one. How did you lose?" And he turned to him, and said, "We got out coached." which was fantastic. Like, you know, come on, like seriously, not really, but that's just the kind of human that he is. I mean, so gracious and so kind and so giving and everything you might've heard about him positive is is a fraction of the reality of what that guy does behind the scenes, people and uh, minister to prisons and all the stuff that he, that he supports. Uh, So it's a very good use of a human right there and that, that family deserves all the success that they've had but I was walking out of a charity event and I was just finishing the book and I had a different working title. I, I heard, Hey coach. And I turned around and it was coach Gibbs and uh, we had a conversation. So that's, that's, that's how I named that. So I I really wanted to give anybody uh, that coaches a group of kids, you know, kind of our method and our construct and our models of thought around that. And then the second book I wrote was called discernment and it's the business athletes regimen for a great life through better decisions. So you know, I believe that you can make a different decision today and you're going to have a different life tomorrow. If I wanted to be an Alaskan uh, fishing guide, you know, I'm. it might not. And I live in North Carolina. Well, there's a series of steps that are going to get me there. And it starts with the first one. And it starts with making a decision around that. You know, business is a full contact sport. And you know, decisions are critically important and the quality of our decisions really determines the quality of our life and the velocity of our business. And, you know, anything could go to zero, whether it's Arthur Anderson or Enron, and there's nothing that's a hundred percent in life. So each decision you make, and I used to coach my kids, you got 99 decisions to make every day, starting with whether you make your bed or not and tell your parents, thank you for the lunch they gave you to take to school and you know, and and every single decision is really just ch- increases the probabilities of you having the outcome that you've decided that you want. You know, I believe that models of thought are really ways to think about situations, and wisdom is a collection of models of thought that you've gained over your lifetime applied to present day situations. So, you know, there's lots of concepts in the book, and uh, is it great? I don't know. I, I, you know, people that read it tend, and and if they're in the right place looking at entrepreneurship building a business you know they take a lot from it things like uh, you know your life is a balance sheet you know there you know what are what are the assets that are going to contribute to the quality of your life and the velocity of your business and what are the things that are going to take away you know you can you can have a balance sheet inside of that there's all types of equities that you end up with on a balance sheet health equity uh, relationship equity is something that is really important in franchising we've got to have equity with the relationships. People always have to assume good intent in a franchise system because, you know, you're like, why are they make why are they asking us to do this? Why are they rolling this program out? Is it good for everybody? Is it good for them? Is it good for me? You know, always assuming uh, good intent is critical in in relationship equity. And then, you know, being consistent. You know, my definition of trust has really evolved over time. I used to think of trust as When I see people reacting the same way that I would to a situation, then I would trust them. But that's really not right. You have to trust people to act in the way that's consistent with the way they've shown you they act and making decisions that are consistent. Don't put the way I think on somebody. Trust people to be who they have shown you to be. And then you can make a decision where they fit on the team or in your life or or any of those other things. So, you know, those are the types of things that we talk about and really because avoiding Bad decisions is critical because bad decisions are really just a debt on your future time, energy, and money. I mean, how many times have you started something without thinking it all the way through, and now you're in it, and you've got to do all of this to get out of it, and at the end of it, you look at it, and I'm like, I just wasted better part of six months on something that if I would have thought a little bit more thoroughly, and if I would have applied some of these decision filters that I talk about in the book, that you would have clearly, clearly made a different decision.
2: What do you think about speed to decision making? You know, I I often will read, make decisive action quickly. And I think your filters would probably also relate to, you know, sort of don't do things that are, you know, sort of obviously stupid, right? You know, so, but do something, because I think that there's a, a limiting factor of success that people who can't make a decision, you know, at all, right. And there's that spectrum that you get stuck on. Curious what you think about that?
0: So, ledge, what do you think what are what, what do you think goes into people that have the ability to make fast decisions well?
2: Oh, it's absolutely experience. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no question. Yeah. So, you know, I I know I know that and look back at those lovely conversations of decisions that I made poorly and lost a million dollars. I also wonder if, you know, it's sort of like how do you train people to get your order of magnitude mistakes out of the way without having six zeros on them instead of now I look at the I always thought of my maturity as an entrepreneur based on you know essentially the number of zeros attached to what I screwed up yesterday and and relative to the number of zeros I can ask for without feeling sick those are my two those are my two maturity measurements
0: now I I like that and I think I think being organized and having some intentionality around how you think about situations allows you speed to decision. A lot of times, I mean, if you're not first, you're last. Very few of the great things that happen in my life happen uh, when I'm sitting behind my desk. It's usually when I'm out there taking action. I've decided to show up somewhere. You know, one of the one of my great, great coaches that I had for nine years in Vistage was a guy named Dave Zierfoss. He was the president of Husqvarna North America Outdoor Power Equipment for like 18 years and grew them from $29 million to like $530 million by expanding their dealership network and just winning in the dealership space. Perfect coach for me, building a franchise system. And he said, you know, Jeff, some people get paid by the hour, salespeople get paid commission, but if you're a leader, you get paid by the conversation. And the quality of the conversations we have, uh, you know, he said, your life, the books you read, the people you meet, and the conversations that you have, like, that's really where you can make massive leaps uh, forward. And you go through your whole life trying to find those handful of people that you can truly trust. But at the end of the day, too, every every business decision Uh, has all these different variables into it. So you've kind of got to know, again, it starts like we started the conversation, know yourself, know your strengths, know what you're trying to accomplish. You can't have everything. You shouldn't try to have everything. You should try to do what you do as well as possible. And then, and I don't, I really make sure like I don't get involved in anything that's not going to scale. Like if it's not going to scale, if I don't see a clear path to scaling this business with the resources I have, the knowledge, the talent the human capital, the capital capital, the intellectual capital I have, then I probably shouldn't waste a lot of time on it and being really upfront with people early and giving them my best experience, never advice, but sharing my best experience to let them go out. And, you know, maybe that's a great business for them, but that doesn't mean it's a great business for us.
2: So here's the thing. You have had, let's say, the non-traditional sort of, I didn't get an MBA and it's like I started painting and I, incidentally, I'm like relatively the same way, right? Like, I'm curious what conventional wisdom you think comes out of the stuff, the books, the the schooling, you know, sort of like that you kind of go, no, based on 25 years of making a hell of a lot of money and success in business, those conventional things are
0: wrong. Well, you know, many entrepreneurs are just screwed into existence by circumstances. You you. <laughs> right?
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: I Damn. mean, like, why did you do it? Well, it was the best option I had in front of me to solve the problem that I had between me and, you know, another, what is it, what was I eating in college? Uh, you know, a, a box of minute rice and a can of tuna, you know, yeah, a day. Right.
2: Ramen, ramen. Yeah. Or
0: when I start, you know, at $2, uh, two Big Macs, no drink, no fries, no cheese is $2 and 10 cents. I know that, uh, you know, 1994 Winter Park, Florida parlance, because that's what I ate all summer. But, you know, so you're you're like, well, what, you know, how can I have freedom and how can I do something but yet survive? So, you know, it comes down to, you know, trying to find a way to, to create a business around that. But I will tell you, there's easier ways than doing it that way. And I don't know what the chance of success are, but traditional education is fantastic. But I mean, I probably have 2000 books that are within an arm's reach of me at any point in time. And I might not have read all of all of them, but I've read some of all of them and I've read all of a lot of them and some of most of them. There's probably a fraction in there. I don't know how you'd calculate that. But um, I know that if I'm thinking about how do I position this business to market, I'm going to go grab blue ocean strategy. I've got, it's marked up and I'm going to go do it. Or I'm going to go back to 95 for, you know, if I'm looking at how to position a product, you know, the discipline of market leaders was a great marketing book back from the the mid nineties. And it's kind of a Bible of, of, you know, product positioning, or, you know, if I'm looking at, you know, what's going on today? I'm gonna to grab some Ray Dalio and some principles or that, or if I'm feeling I'm not efficient, I'm gonna to go to atomic habit. So, you know, that's all that's what education is, right? It's now you just you have to be motivated. Again, self-awareness, I, I I'm not sure there's anything more important than self-awareness and humility and realizing that we're all programmable machines and that will is an exhaustible resource. So you've got to use your time and energy properly every single day from the time you wake up because got to keep your, uh, I talk about it in training, don't have dirty eyes, right? If you're, a, if you're a football player and you're in the secondary, your body goes where your eyes take you. So if you're playing zone, you got to have your eyes in the backfield. You're looking for work. You're covering your zone. If you're playing man to man, your eyes are on the man. But if you ever cheat and you get dirty eyes and you put your eyes where they're not supposed to be, it's going to put your body where it's not supposed to be and you're going to get beat. So You know, what are, what's going into your eyes every day? What's going into your ears every day? Have you found a way to get around a big, there's somebody who's done what you want to do. So do you put yourself in a room of people that are somewhere on the continuum ahead of you, you know, let their wisdom fall onto, onto your uh, reality today. So, you know, those are the types of, um, uh, things I forget the question uh, there's probably an answer to it somewhere in there, but that's, that's what I think about education is, is it's, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're getting it from multiple channels.
2: And uh, yeah, uh, the question was sort of, you know, do you see any conventional wisdom or, you know, sort of stuff being pumped out that you go like, I don't know, I just did this. I think that's wrong. And, you know, no, don't consume that crap. Maybe there's no answer there that, you know, there, there is a good book and a methodology and, you know, for everything. But I remember early in my career, we had a term of, you know, sort of mentor whiplash. There's a lot of freaking advice mm. and it's not all appropriate for you. And some of the things are just abjectly wrong in people who kind of like to have their opinion heard more than helping.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a business. So I, th- I think, you know, I'm a YPOer, and the mantra is you share experience, not advice. Yeah. So when we get together in our groups, it's uh, you don't give advice, you don't tell people what they should do. You share something that that you've had, uh, you relate that to them that's relatable to what they're facing, and then you let people make their own decisions. Look, there's a lot of people out there that are selling advice and and do, you know do this and business that, and and I do believe the internet one day will be very popular. Ledge, I think it's, I think it is. Somebody's going to make a lot of
2: money on that. I
0: think so, <laughs> but I mean it's also a lot of noise. And there's a lot of people that have the right answer. It's just to the wrong question for you right now.
2: Right, right. No, I, I think that's that's correct. And and again, it comes back to that discernment, right? Like, you know, it's so much of like filters. I mean, you said the, you said the word, like decision-making filters at the right time. And uh, we are at the same time now bombarded with information and opportunity in a way like never before. And there's, you know, opportunity like never before, that you have to be able to filter that stuff out. You know, I, I even think to gosh, 20 years ago, starting a business and it was outrageously expensive. And I mean, right now you can legitimately spin up a business for a couple hundred bucks mm-hmm. and start making money where you, everything is done for you. It's, it's incredible. And now we're gonna have AI's that write all our copy for us. So, you know, that <laughs> it's just, it's just wild. I mean, that, and can be overwhelming if you don't have your head about you or a good decision-making model to, to kind of think, you know, essentially that's bullshit and that's not.
0: Yeah, I uh, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. When I consume things, and it's probably not even right, but I do consider the source. I think we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see an idea. You know, oh, whose idea was that? Well, who? Why does it matter? Let the right. let the idea fall on the merits. Uh, you know, stand on its own merits. But I do consider things. You know, I'm I'm coaching uh, some. I've got some business partners that are a little bit behind me in terms of uh, building and running businesses, but very talented, and and I see them the whiplash is, its I've, I haven't heard that before, but that's so true because, you know, I see this particular person, you know, when he's talking to this person, then he decides I'm going all that way. And then I'm talking to him and he's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going all that way. And then it's like, well, you can't just whiplash around between other people's advice to you. You have to have some sort of a North star to understand like, what are the, what are the most important things in this business? What are we trying to accomplish? How do you simply communicate that? And then how does what How do these things play into it to, you know, accelerate it? So yeah, hundred percent. But what triggers me to buy a book or to consume something is, you know, if people have had success and then I tend to want to hear a little bit about how they look at things and what their view is. And maybe there's none of it that really applies to me because that's not the business I'm in, but there's probably some sort of inspiration. It's like, okay, this person faced with those circumstances did this. They committed to it. It didn't work for three or four years, but now, wow, that's, you know, I love to deconstruct how people got to where they've got to, to try to understand, you know, what the path was.
2: You mentioned the early on, paid some consultants to come up with, you know, sort of the, the plan that allowed you to really launch there. And it makes me want to know, you know, there's unlimited consultants, right? You can pay for facilitation and things of that nature. How does a business owner know when's the right time to start investing in a little bit of that paid outside help is different than I got a mentor or I got a coach. And, you know, you've obviously invested, you said Vistage, like, you know, YPO, like there's a lot of stuff there that is investing in that education, investing in that, not advice, but guidance. Some of that stuff is available, you know, for free forever. At some point you reach where it's like, I need to buy additional help. And I'm curious when and how that happened.
0: Well, so, you know, I started my painting business in 90 and I started at Clean in 94 and hired this guy in 2004. And it was the same time we. Were, he was probably the one that said, we need to bring in these consultants. He was a building scientist. He was an interesting guy. And I'll never forget, he was like the first person that he smoked in the office and he looked at me and he had smoke going in his eye. And he said, I said something about, you know, a strong belief that I had about our industry and why we needed to do this. So way." he looked at me, and said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. I said, well, if that's so true, why, how have we done so well? He goes, well, because you're too stupid to fail because he goes, you just, you're, you, you, tr- you work so hard at it. eventually you're going to push through and and that that resonated with me and it was really at that point in time where i'm like you know what i'm so proud of the fact that we've done this all ourselves with but like why why are we not why are we not so that was you know that's when i started joining groups and started getting outside of the four walls of our building and hanging around with other business owners which then led me to other business owners you've got to have a thirst for knowledge. I mean, it, connections are great and they certainly matter, but it's the perspective that you can put inside of you. I mean, I probably uh, I knew that the market was right to sell our franchise company, AdvantaClean, but until I got into YPO and everybody in there had sold a business and they survived and they were living a better life with different opportunities and more freedom and, and more travel and more exposure. I, I would have never seen it. I don't know that I would have pulled the trigger. I honestly don't know that I would have pulled the trigger if I wasn't, if I wasn't around people that had done it before, because I was scared to death, man. It was, it was my life's work other than my wow. kids.
2: And now you get a whole portfolio of life's work that is bigger and, you know, sort of more impressive, but you had to take that leap there. So that, that peer support really
0: mattered then. Yeah. It did. It did. And it's not like they came out and said it. I just observed it.
2: Yeah. Got it. Got it. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like that. I like that answer a lot. Um, you've mentioned a bunch of groups, you know, things that you're involved in. I think that's a really good point for the audience full of entrepreneurs, full of people that might want to, and is con- are considering different groups, which ones would you highly recommend based on your experience? Cause I, I think there's a lot of choices there and a lot of places to throw money in or, you know, your time. And there's, Limited time and money budgets.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, Vistage was very good for me. Vistage is going to be, and a lot of it's going to depend on who your Vistage chair is, and so you need to look at their experience and whether it relates to yours. But it's a local CEO or president group, maybe sixteen people. If you're in the executive, it might cost you fifteen hundred bucks a month. If there's a key man group or key woman group, that might be around eight or nine hundred bucks. Now, I'm not sure, but it's a monthly all day meeting. It's a one-on-one coaching session, and then in that all-day meeting, they bring in a resource for education. And I incorporated so many of those resources over the nine years I was in. But that's a local thing, and it's it's more it's education. If you really want experiences, then you're looking at a entrepreneur EO or YPO, uh, which are two great groups. The EO the to qualify for EO is is uh, more attainable for a lot of business local business people. YPO has pretty high requirements to get in you know, they're, they're both, they're very similarly run. They have forum opportunities. So you can get into a forum with five or seven other uh, members of the group, which is kind of, and there's a format for that, which is very powerful. You know, those, those organizations were started where there was people in New York city that were the business people. And they just didn't have anybody to talk to about the issues they were facing. Cause you know, by the way, if you have people that are advising you and that are your friends, but you're writing them a check, there's no objectivity there right so we're all surrounded with lots of people that we write checks to to get surrounded with a bunch of people that we don't write checks to that that are you know facing similar problems I, I think that's that's fair and then really what's happened kind of a I don't know if it's an assault on these groups because these groups seem to be going strong and stronger but these mastermind groups there's mastermind groups in every category now that you can get into for, Three, four hundred bucks. And, you know, it's a group of other people around the country like you, and it's all done online. And maybe they get together once or twice a year. And I mean, there's a bunch of great mastermind groups around. I find that some of those mastermind groups are a little bit disparate because they're not really industry focused and there's a lot of people at different levels. But there's others that are very specific to an industry and they grab people from different non competing roofers. And, you know, you're in different cities and, and you're you're sharing. I can see how those could be very very valuable as well. But at the end of the day, it's just get out of your own echo chamber and get around people that will tell it to you straight. And if you're saying something that you know, if you have a if you have a strong belief and it's not held loosely, they're gonna they're gonna rattle it out of your hands. They're gonna challenge that belief. Here's the thing about limiting beliefs, man. And this is what so many founders and small this is small businesses stay small. When founders and owners argue incessantly for their own limitations, and if you argue for your own limitations, here, guess what, Ledge, you get to keep them. They're yours. <laughs> They're yours forever.
2: Yeah, uh, and and I I love the echo chamber thing because it's so true. And you know, one of like I have stories like that too. It's just like y'all realize we just sat around for four days talking about our you know, how awesome our business is going to be while the phone didn't ring and we didn't call a single prospect. That happens all the time. You know, the early days of spending weeks thinking about colors and logos and names and, and now, you know, just going, just launch the damn thing. <laughs> you know, like, let's go and get some feedback from the marketplace. And that, that has been pivotal. And, and the feedback comes back that when you go with that gut instinct, people go, you know, Hey, that's, um, one of my current businesses like take an old logo and colors that we from something else that failed slap our name on it that we came up with in the shower and start making money and everybody loves that brand. So, (laughs) right. (laughs) Well, Jeff, I love the insights, man. I, I hope people are really paying attention to this stuff. Just great wisdom and experience. So it's great. It's great to have you on. Um, if anybody's resonating in the audience, you know what uh, what channels are the best ones to to follow, reach out. You know stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So you can follow us on all the major um, social media channels at Homefront Brands. Uh, you can reach out to me. On LinkedIn, it's just Jeff Duden, D-U-D-A-N. Instagram, a lot of people seem to reach out to me on Instagram. They reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can, uh, if you want to see some of uh, some of my content, uh, you can go to uh, Dudengroup.com, D-U-D-A-N-G-R oup.com, And if you're interested in, you know, entrepreneurship and and you want to reach out and have a conversation with us, see what kind of, uh, we have a dynasty program now to where you can acquire multiple of our, of our franchise brands inside of a single territory, operate them on the same operating platform. We've really built this for people that want to build generational wealth for themselves and their families and do it with a bunch of people that, that care about, uh, you know, shoring up our country through entrepreneurship.
2: It's awesome, man. Thanks so much for coming out. I love it.
0: Great insights. Appreciate it, Ledge. It's been great.
1: Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.